All right. So today, as you heard, a lot of us were out of town this last week. We were on what we were kind of calling a, a vision trip. We were a little late uh, going this year, but we were all gone this last week. So Nate, which many of you have got to know, has been so gracious. He's going to lead us in the message today, which I'm really excited about. I've known Nate for, I think, about eight, maybe, maybe a little more eight years in his family, and uh, they're one of our closest friends from Madison, Indiana. If any of you know where Madison, Indiana is. Does anyone know where Madison, Indiana is? One? Pretty good. It is near Kentucky. Yes, kind of down that way. Uh, but Nate has just been a huge blessing. He's been working around here. He's here on a short-term trip. So I'm just excited. So please give Nate a welcome, and also make sure and say hi to him afterwards. Welcome, Nate. It is, it's a privilege to get to come up and just share the Word of God with, with brothers and sisters. And I've, just, I've loved my time here in this country, just getting to experience the culture and the people and just the, you know, it, it's, I was talking to a friend last night and in some ways it's radically different, right? We're driving on the wrong side of the road here. Uh, every, everything is, is backwards in a sense, the food is different, and yet in the same time, we're here to talk about Jesus Christ. And we have the same word of God, we have the same power of God revealing it to us. And so uh, there's, a, there's a bond there, right? Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a brotherhood that comes with that. And so I'm just incredibly excited. So if you would, if you have a Bible with you, please open it up to the Gospel of John chapter 9. If you do not have a Bible, there are Bibles in the back there by the door to the children's ministry. Uh, but if, And I would encourage you, we're going to have the words up on the screen, but if you have a Bible, open it up. Uh, there's something really special that happens when you can be reading the Word and you can, uh, you can see it right there in front of you. So while you're doing that, let's pray. God, we are excited to be in your presence as a group, as a family. We're excited to hear you speak to us. And so we pray that you would give us open hearts, that we would be responsive to what you want to say and do. And I just pray that, uh, that you would be the words that we're hearing this afternoon. So have your way with us, and it is in your name that we pray. Amen. So what we've been doing at Refuge is going through the, basically the life and ministry of Jesus in chronological order, and kind of taking chunks from the different Gospels and trying to give a comprehensive picture of Jesus' ministry on earth. And so today we find ourselves in John chapter 9. And typically, Aaron and Christian will take sort of a smaller chunk, but John chapter 9 doesn't really break up into nice divisible chunks. It's sort of just John chapter 9. And so today we're actually going to go through the entire chapter. And you don't need to worry, I talk a lot faster than Aaron does. So we, we'll make it through in time. But, uh, but we need some context. Okay, in John chapter 9, as John is giving us this, we're sandwiched right between John 8 and John 10. And what's happening is Jesus is concluding his earthly ministry. He's on his way. He's in Jerusalem. He's in the last couple weeks of his life. And he's basically, you know, his time is coming. And so he's stirring things up. He's pushing the Pharisees. He's making statements that are going to offend people because he is setting the timing from a divine perspective. He's orchestrating things so that the crucifixion will happen at the proper time, so that everything will be fulfilled the way it's supposed to be. So he keeps getting into these arguments in the Gospel of John with the religious leaders where they're saying, hey, you're violating the law. And he's saying, no, I'm not. I'm violating your rules. I am not violating the law. And in in chapter 8, verse 31, we're just going to start there for a little bit of context. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, 
and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Jesus is interacting with these people who say, Hey, we have religion. We have the law of Moses. We have the Old Testament. What do we need you for? And he says, No, no, no. There's a bigger issue, and that is that you are in bondage to sin. You are not free. And I am here to bring freedom. I'm here to bring salvation. And so that's where we find ourselves. John chapter 9 and verse 1. It says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So Jesus and his disciples are going past, and there's a blind man there. And the disciples say, okay, who sinned? And this was a common teaching of the time. It's honestly something we still struggle with today. When something, just a tragedy happens to somebody, there's still that, like, temptation. Maybe even if we know it shouldn't be there, like, man, I wonder if this is the judgment of God. And especially in this time and place, there was a teaching that if this man was born blind, it's for one of two reasons. Either he sinned in the womb before he was born, and... It was so grievous that God decided to strike him blind. Or his parents sinned while, he was, while his mother was pregnant with him. And it was so grievous that God decided this child is going to be blind for life as a consequence of these parents' sin. And so think about just a lifetime of living with that. right? Think about the, the, the stigma and the guilt and the shame that you would feel as a parent when you would always just, you'd always be going back. Okay, was there something? Did I confess everything hard enough? Did I do enough? Was there one more thing I could have done? And then if you come to a point where you say, no, there really wasn't, your neighbors still don't believe you. Your friends don't believe you. Everyone for your, for your child's entire life is going to have this idea of, you know, if you would just tell the truth, we could deal with this. And you'd say, there's nothing to confess. And they'd say, yeah, right. And so there's this, there's this shame going on that this man has lived with his entire life. And the disciples are, are no more spiritually mature than the rest of us. They say, okay, somebody's at fault here. Let's just figure this out. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You're missing the point. The point is not that this man sinned or that his parents sinned. The reality is it's a sin-cursed world. And sometimes bad things happen as a consequence of what we do, as a consequence of our rebellion or our stupidity. But sometimes the world is just cursed. Creation groans. We are under the dominion of sin as a planet. And so things happen. And tragedies happen. And Jesus says, okay, here's the deal. This isn't this man's fault or his parents' fault. This is an opportunity for God to be glorified. And it's like in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, when Paul says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. That is in the context in chapter 8. Paul is talking about suffering as a Christian. And he doesn't say we know that all things are good. He says we know that all things work together for good. Tragedy is a reality in life. It's something we live with, we deal with. The question is not, is it good? The question is, is God capable of using it for good? And so that's what Jesus is going to do here. We're going to watch Jesus interact with this man for good. So verse 6 says, When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Notice a couple things here. Jesus 
is, is coming into the last week of his, of his earthly ministry. He's pushing things. This is not something that nice people do. Okay, Jesus does this over and over in the Gospels where he forces us to this point of you can't really read the Gospels honestly and say Jesus was a nice man or a good teacher or a prophet. No, no. Either Jesus was God doing a God-ordained mission or he is playing cruel jokes on people, right? Putting mud in a blind man's eyes if you don't have the power to heal him and if you're not planning to is cruelty. That's a nasty joke. But if you're God then it makes perfect sense. You can do what you want. You're, you're the healer. And you can initiate the healing however you want. So notice, Jesus is pushing us to a response here, but also notice the man's faith. This man has lived his entire adult life. He's never seen anything. And all of a sudden, he hears somebody spit in the ground, and he feels mud rubbed on his eyes. And Jesus says, okay, go wash it off. Jesus doesn't say, go wash it off and you'll see. He says, go wash it off. And the man, for whatever reason, decides, okay, why not? What have I got to lose? And so the man has enough faith to respond in obedience to the Lord. And what happens? He's healed. The miracle takes place. He comes back seeing. In verse 8, it says, Therefore, the neighbors and those who had previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. And he said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. So this man's healed. And, and it's, you know, it's a local stir. It's, it's a news item. Blind people don't usually get their sight back just by washing mud off their eyes. So everybody's asking. But notice his response, and I want us to, as we're going through this chapter today, to really pay attention to this man's response and his, the progression of his relationship with Jesus. Who is Jesus right now to this man? What's he say? A man called Jesus made clay. This is, he, doesn't, he doesn't say Jesus Christ. He doesn't say the Savior. Who, who healed you? How did it go? Well, there's this man called Jesus. And that's all he knows right now. That's what he's got. That's what he's working with. But we're going to see a progression. So let's keep moving. Verse 13. And they brought him, who formerly was blind, to the Pharisees. Now, it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. So, what's the problem here? The problem is it was a Sabbath. It was, a, it was the Jewish day of rest. And in the Old Testament, God had ordained. He said, I want you to work for six days and rest on the seventh. And the Jewish people learned that. But what happened was over the centuries, they had added to this, where God said, I don't want you to work on the Sabbath. And they said, okay. But over time, they said, well, wait a second. If we're going to be really spiritual, if we're going to be the people of God, what is work, right? Like, okay, so it would be wrong to go farm on the Sabbath, right? Okay. So, ah, so you know what that means? If you spit in mud, do you realize you're mixing dirt? And that's plowing up a field. So if you, spit on, if you spit on a rock, that's no big deal. But on the Sabbath day, if you spit in the mud, that's farming. You just broke the Sabbath. And so, oh, all of a sudden, this miracle from God, no, 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 sorry. Whoever Jesus is, he just broke the law. So we can't trust him. And notice, Jesus will do this. Jesus never broke the Old Testament law. In Matthew 5, he said, I'm the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He completed it perfectly. He was the one person who ever fulfilled the law of God. What Jesus had no interest in was fulfilling the rules of men. 
Jesus had no interest in saying, well, I'm going to just do extra things to make God love me, right? Jesus, is it's not there. It's nowhere on his radar. So the law says, rest on the Sabbath. Jesus is healing a man. He's finding rest in the joy of giving this man fresh life. That's not work. But the, the Pharisees, oh, hey, 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 Jesus just broke our rules. So there's a problem here. And we're going to see a tension build between Jesus and the Pharisees, because he is here, Jesus is here to fulfill the law. The Pharisees have gotten so obsessed with the rules and the things we've added and the ways we've tried to make ourselves more spiritual and more holy that they have completely lost their ability to see how the word of God is being fulfilled right in front of them. And so verse 16, Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man's not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. How can any man who spits in mud on a Saturday be from God? And others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So verse 17, they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. So we just switched, right? A couple verses ago, who was he? He was a man called Jesus. And now who is he? He's a prophet. This man is, there's an awareness growing in this man as he's watching religious people interface with Jesus. He's starting to realize something is There's something different going on here. Jesus is not just some man. So who is he now in this man's eyes? He's a, oh, he's a prophet. In verse 18, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. They said, no, 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 you can't be blind. You couldn't have actually been blind. This is a hoax. And so verse 19, they asked them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. This is one of the saddest passages in this chapter. Because you think about, think about for a second this man's parents. They're in their son's entire life, they've lived with the shame and the guilt and the assumptions that other people have put on them, right? You sinned, and so your son was born blind. You broke the law. You broke the word of God. It is your fault that your son has been born blind. And now all of a sudden, Jesus heals their son. And they ought to be able to just have incredible joy, right? And just praise the Lord and look at what God has done. But instead, they're stuck in fear. Because if they say, wow, look at what God has done, they're going to get thrown out of the synagogue. And the synagogue, it's different in our, in our day because, you know, if you get thrown out of a church, which is fairly unlikely, uh, you can go down the street. You can find another church. Uh, you can pretty much find a church that will tell you anything you want to hear. But in this culture, to be thrown out of the synagogue was really, you're going to lose basically your entire social standing. You're going to lose so much more on a cultural level than we can really even appreciate today. Okay, it's probably closest to like losing citizenship is almost how it would translate. You're going to lose so much if this, if this gets done to you. So th- this is what happens though whenever religion steps into the picture, right? These parents should have had joy right now and they're stuck. They're stuck. Religion always traps you. When you add rules and you add extra things to the word of God, what happens? You're always stuck. Either something bad is happening 
because you did something wrong or something bad is going to happen because you're not doing enough. There's never a point under the religion of the Pharisees here where these parents can actually just experience joy. And so they're, they're, they're just entirely stuck. And so they have really no choice but to throw their own son under the bus. They say, well, you know what? We weren't here when it happened. He's a legal adult. Why don't you ask him? We'll just step back and kind of step away from the picture. And they're stuck. There's not, they don't have a choice because when, you, when a religion steps in, when what should be a relationship with the Lord turns into a religion of am I doing enough, you will always be stuck in fear. You'll never have, be able to experience true joy. You'll never be able to say, here's what God has done. You'll always be stuck saying, I wonder if I'm good enough. And wondering if you're good enough, wondering if you're doing enough is the most depressing place you can ever be as a Christian. Because you can't. Apart from Jesus Christ making you holy, you will live a depressed, frustrated Christian existence because you will not achieve holiness on your own. So his parents say, hey, you know what, ask him. And verse 24, so they again called the man who was born blind, and they said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. So the Pharisees say again, don't give this man the glory. Give God the glory. Don't give this man credit for healing you. And what's the man say? He says, look, I don't know really much about this guy, but he's the one who healed me. I, I'm not going to deny that. So Jesus was some man called Jesus, and now he's a prophet, and now he's the one who's responsible for healing me. And we're watching this progression is happening. This man is, something is happening in this man's heart where he is growing in his awareness. Verse 26, they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? They've already asked him this question two or three times, but, they, but they're obsessed Jesus did not conform to our rules, so he must not be from God. So we must, there must be something that he did wrong. We need to find the loophole. We need to find the way that Jesus broke the law. And so what did he do? Did he really heal you? Were your eyes really blind? Were you sure you weren't just like, you know, vision impaired? What, what did the mud do? Was it like special mud? What was really going on? And he answered them, verse 27, I told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? He's saying, guys, I told you this. We've had this discussion. But notice what he says. Do you also want to become his disciples? This man's still on a trajectory. He's still growing. Right? What happened? Oh, he's a man called Jesus. Oh, he's a prophet. Oh, he's a healer. Now, I'm his disciple. Do you guys want to become his disciples too? This man is, something is shifting. Right? This man is opening up and realizing, oh, wait a second. This isn't just some man. This isn't just a prophet. This isn't just a healer. This is someone I want to be under. Someone I want to grow from, grow in. Verse 28. And they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know where he's from. They say, You're this man's disciple? We'll tell you what's significant. We are Moses' disciples. We have real prestige. We have real knowledge. We are uh, educated. We are sophisticated. We talk slowly, which proves that we are smarter. And so they say, no, no, no. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't even know where he's from. They don't, really, the better thing for them to have said right then would have been, we don't care where he's from. These people just experienced a miracle. 
They get to a man who was born blind is now seeing. And instead of saying, wow, that's interesting, maybe we should step back and see if something's happening here. Maybe we should step back and see if the Lord is doing something, if God is working in a fresh way. Instead, what they say is, you know what, this doesn't conform. This doesn't line up with the expectation that we have of how God is supposed to work. And so this can't be from God. And sooner or later, every single one of us in our life comes to a moment when God does not line up with our expectations. Sooner or later, there's a point when I expect God to do something, and he doesn't. I expected God to intervene in this specific way, and he didn't. I expected God to bring this situation, to bring this circumstance to pass, and it didn't happen. And when that comes, when God doesn't meet our expectations, we have two choices. We either say, okay, my expectations need to realign with who God is. Or we say, wow, God failed. He must not be that... He must not be that holy. He must not be that great. And so that comes. That breaking point comes for every single one of us. Sooner or later, God will not meet your expectations. And you have to make the choice. Am I willing to accept that I had the wrong expectations? Am I willing to go back to the word of God and say, okay, who do you reveal yourself to be? And am I willing to accept in humility that I was wrong? That I put things on God that did not belong? And these Pharisees aren't willing to do that. God does not meet our expectations, therefore, he is not God. That's their conclusion. There's, not, there's no hint of, maybe we should go back to the, to the word of God. Maybe we should see what God says about himself. There's none of that. There's no interest. They say, we don't know where this man's from. We don't care where this man is from. If he does not do what we expect him to do, he cannot be from God. That's where these men are at. And verse 30, the man answered and said to them, I love this guy. Why, this is a marvelous thing that you don't know where he's from, yet he's opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Now there's a couple things we want to notice in this passage. Okay, this man... He's enthusiastic. You've got to give him credit for that, right? Doctrinally, he may not be right on par. He says, we know that God doesn't hear sinners. You can kind of see where he's going, but every single one of us is a sinner, right? If any one of us uh, has asked the Lord to come into our hearts, God has heard us. So, you know, you kind of, he's, he's trying to make a good point. His, his Christianity isn't really quite all there. It's coming. Okay, but he's enthusiastic for the Lord. But what's his conclusion? If this man weren't from God, he could do nothing. This, this blind man is on a trajectory. Who is Jesus? Well, at the beginning of the chapter, who, is, who was he? He's, he's a man called Jesus. And then he's a prophet. And then he's a healer. And then he's someone who I'm his disciple. And now he's a man from God. We're, we're on a roll. This guy is, he is stepping forward. He's getting closer. He's not there all the way yet, right? But he's... He's getting closer. And there's this sense of anticipation, like, okay, you're getting closer. You're getting warmer, right? Keep coming. Keep coming. You're almost there. And what did the Pharisees say? They say, you were born in sins. They're still stuck back in verse 1. They say, look, we know either you sin or your parents sin. You think you have the right to teach us? You're a sinner. And we're not. And so they throw them out of the synagogue. They have, they have no interest. They are still stuck. 
they have, you know, Jesus said in, in verse 4, no, verse 5, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And these men, their conclusion is, no, 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 no. You don't know anything. You don't know anything about God. We are the experts here. And so you need to leave. Right? We refuse to learn from someone who has had an interaction with Jesus. We are going to define God on our terms. And if you will not accept our terms, you need to leave. That's where these men are at. That's where the Pharisees are at. In verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, the man. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped. This man just came full circle, right? This man, initially, who was Jesus? Oh, he's just a man. Oh, he's a prophet. Oh, he's a healer. He's the man I want to be a disciple of. He's a man from God. Now, who is he? He says, do you believe in the Son of God? And he says, Lord, I want to believe, just like the the man with the demon-possessed son. He says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus says, I'm the one. And he says, I believe, and he worshiped him. This man responds to Jesus Christ. Jesus addressed a physical problem this man had. But in the course of this chapter, Jesus addresses the much bigger problem this man had, which is that he needed to have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. In verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. And then some of the Pharisees said, Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. Pharisees say, What do you do you think we're blind? What Jesus say? Yeah, you are. If you were blind, you would recognize that you need the light to see. This man was blind. He needed the light of the world to see. So I, as the light of the world, Jesus is saying, I came. I gave him physical sight. I gave him spiritual sight. He was blind, and he knew he needed light. You guys think you're walking in light. You are adamant that you are not blind, and therefore what you're doing is demonstrating that you're blind. And so what happens? Your sin remains. And so what we see here in this chapter right, is we see this split between the man and the Pharisees. And they both need an interaction with the Lord. They both need Jesus Christ to come into their life. And the man gets on a trajectory of, okay, I'm not exactly sure who Jesus is, but I'm going to figure it out. And the Pharisees get on a trajectory of, we're not exactly sure who this man is, but we are not going to give him the time of day. And so for each one of us, we got to ask ourselves now the same question that Jesus asked the man. He said, do you believe in the Son of God? And, you know, here's the deal. I'm not, I'm, I'm new here. I don't know everybody in this room. So some of you may still be on that same path that, that man is on, where you're like, hey, you know what? He's a man named Jesus. He's a prophet. He's a healer. He's from God. Uh, you know, is he God? I'm, I'm still figuring it out. Some of you may still be on that path. And if you are, you know, God wants to meet you there. You do not have to drag that out. You can know conclusively right now. You can believe in the Son of God. You can worship the Son of God. And like this man, you can have spiritual sight brought to your heart. Some of us, probably most of us, are already Christians. We're already believers. We believe in the Son of God, but 
sometimes we sort of become Christians who live like we're atheists, right? Sometimes, you know, it's good to step back and say, okay, if everything I believe about Jesus uh, was totally false, what would change in my life? If Jesus is not real, if he never died, if he never rose from the dead, what would change in my life? And there are a lot of Christians who, if that was true, what would their life look like? It would look exactly the same tomorrow as it does today, right? They would still go to something that they call a church that's really a place to make them feel good. They would still probably give some money to help people because it would make them feel good. They'd, you know, they'd sing songs, and it'd be a nice experience, but it wouldn't change anything. And so some of us, we can, we can believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but then we've got to step back and say, okay, on a practical level, how do I live? Do I live as though he's the Son of God, or do I live like he's a man called Jesus? Do I live like he's the Son of God, or do I live like he's a prophet? Do I live like he's the Son of God, or do I live like he's a healer? Do I live like I want to be his disciple? Am I saying, God, where are you so that I can worship you? Am I, am I looking for the presence of God in the way that this man is? Or are we, like the Pharisees, saying, you know what? That does not meet my expectations, so I choose to leave it there. Right? And Jesus, in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, similar, similar story. Jesus is talking to another group of Pharisees. And it says, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If we live in a religious structure where we are adding to the words of God and saying, well, here's the things I do that make me good, then we are going to, like the man's parents, always be stuck in fear. We're also going to, like the Pharisees, always miss what God wants to do. And so we need to just step back in our hearts and say, okay, Lord, who are you and how do I respond? Right? And, one of the, and the great thing is, as we're wrapping up, we're getting ready to worship. We're getting ready to come. And, and so if, like this man, you can say, Lord, I believe, then believe and worship. Right? If you haven't believed, you know, find Aaron or Christian. Uh, if you're a lady, find Vicky or Alyssa or Laura. There's plenty of people here who would love to pray with you. If, you're, if you need to become a Christian, if you need to say, Lord, I believe, do it. If you need to say, Lord, I believe and I need to, I've believed and I need to start acting like it, do it. And if you're just in the position of, Lord, just like this man, I just want to keep growing. I want to worship you more. Then let's do it. Let's, let's worship the Lord. And so I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to come on up. But as we're worshiping, I would encourage us all to remember we're not just singing a song. We're declaring who the Lord is. Right? What we're going to be doing for these next two songs is we're going to be telling ourselves, we're going to be reminding us, ourselves, and each other, here is who Jesus Christ is. And he's the one we get to have a relationship with. And so don't superimpose rules on top of that. Experience the relationship that we get to have with Christ. So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we get the experience of, of reading about this man gaining his sight. God, we want to have our eyes open. We want to see you with spiritual eyes. We want to see you in a fresh and powerful way. And so I pray that as we're preparing to worship you, that you would just speak to our hearts, that we would uh, we'd walk away with a, with a fresh take, a fresh awareness of, of the depth of your love and your holiness and your greatness. We pray that you would be glorified in our midst, God, and be blessed by our worship. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.